Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, we talk about Batman and how his popularity transcends comic books. Do you know who the Penguin is? Of course you do, but why? I have a theory, but you'll have to keep listening to find out. Then, Brett deep dives into a criminally obscure show that sounds like something everyone should know about, but somehow slipped past even me, professional contentologist. The series in question features unique narrative elements, non-linear storytelling, grounded and complex characters, and a visual style that after seeing the trailer, I can only describe as a massage for my eyeballs. Speaking of which, can you imagine the massage that Batman would give your eyeballs? Anyway... He's talking about the prime original animated, far too short masterpiece, Undone. And if you've never heard of that, well, welcome to the show. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett, Josh, you are looking particularly HD tonight, buddy. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. It's almost like you're in person in my room. It's crazy. Wait, let's touch. All right. Oh, my God. I don't know if you guys heard that. Two microphones should have picked it up. Uh, yeah, we're in person. This is great. It's good to see you. I think we've only done one episode together in person. Yes, that sounds about right. When we started the show... We said, oh, we're only going to record in person. And then that never happened. Like right after we started the show, then COVID hit. So we had one show like this. This is big, man. This is awesome. It is. Yeah. Let's never do it again. Yeah. (laughs) Once a year, maybe. Once every three years. Tops. I forgot to ask, uh, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. (laughs) All right. I got some time off work. I'm growing out the beard. Um, Oh, (sighs) I saw Barbenheimer. Save it for the podcast. Okay, okay. I thought this was the podcast. <laughs> right. Oh, uh, yeah. Usually we would do that in our uh, content surrogate, but how was that, man? I guess that is pretty significant. It was, I felt like I was part of something greater than myself. Really? Yeah. In what way? In that the whole world is going to Barbenheimer, except our weird friends that aren't up to date with the pop culture like happenings. Me? I didn't go to it. Yeah, you and everybody else. I'm a professional contentologist <laughs> and I didn't even do this thing. So you saw them both on the same day. Same day. Uh, like Oppenheimer for the morning and a quick reset, a little bite to eat and then Barbie in the afternoon. You can watch it in whatever order you would like, but I recommend it in that order. Really? You got to end on the pink. That is strange. That's the exact opposite of what I would do because I would want to get Barbie over with and behind me, <laughs> and I would want to save Oppenheimer as the main event. I kind of wanted my mental faculties to be the freshest for Oppenheimer because it is a Christopher Nolan movie. That's true. There's That's a lot a of a lot a lot going on, but I I can fill you in more on the uh, content circuit if you want. That sounds good. That's yep. awesome, man. That's, How you doing? I don't think I've ever done that before. I've never done a double double movie feature like that, unless I snuck into movies. That's what, yeah, when you were yeah. a teenager. That's the only time I ever did that. Save big bucks doing that. Yeah, that's true. Stealing. Yeah. Save all kind of money when you're stealing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they're playing the movies anyway. So what are you really not steal- gonna steal the light? A movie? No. Stealing the light and the sound? Yeah, exactly. Wait, you think you own light now? Are you God? <laughs> um, yeah. I've been pretty good. I nice. just got back from vacation. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, Michigan, did, right? Yeah, we were in Michigan yeah. for 18 days, which was sweet. We did a ton of swimming and wake surfing. And uh, oh, we got the 
everybody always makes fun of me for wearing a wetsuit when we swim. They call it the Pablito suit. The I would PAB, definitely make fun of you for that. Pussy-ass bitch suit. So they Is it because it. it's cold? Yeah. It's so not the, that cold, though. It's pretty cold. I'm from Texas where uh, if the water isn't 85 degrees, it's way too cold for me. Oh, man. Yeah. But I got the girls also wearing Pablito suits, the uh, pussy-ass bitch suits. <laughs> Because they're like, yeah, it's way more fun to swim when you're not freezing. So uh, we were all a family of wetsuit wearing fools. It was pretty cool. Well, and, Melissa uh, wasn't wearing uh, no, one of these wetsuits. Was she's she? way too tough for that. Yeah. Yeah, she's a I lady. admire that, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Ladies are way tougher than men. It's um, true. But while I was on vacation, dude, I had a content-laden vacation, which Ooh. I'll tell you all about. I uh, kind of worked it into the show today. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm excited. All right. Well, Brett, why don't you tell uh, anyone who's new uh, what we do around here? Yeah. Well, I know we have a lot of new listeners. Um, so what we like to do on the Content Clearinghouse is we start off with an off-topic discussion. An off-top, if you will. I will. And then we break down every episode a content a piece of content that's something that we're really passionate about, that we're really into. It could be a movie, a show, video game, podcast, book, just like the theme song says. And we try to sell each other and the listener by extension on this piece of content. We get obsessed with this stuff and we want you to get obsessed with it too. And after all, we are professional contentologists. Which is a real thing. It is. Yeah. So you can trust our opinions on just about everything. I wouldn't call them opinions, Brett. It's more like fact. <laughs> I mean, we got our PhDs from Harvard. That's so. true. And then they discontinued that program immediately after we graduated. So don't try to look it up. No, they scrubbed all the information about it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, don't bother asking. Trust us. Yeah, we went to Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so speaking of off top, Josh, it sounds yeah. like you're really excited about. Oh man, uh, should we just dive right in? Let's dive right in. All right. So. Since we last spoke, I have been mainlining Batman content. Yeah. Did I have something to do with that? You did. <laughs> uh, so I've been watching the animated series, Batman Beyond, three out of the four Arkham games. Wow. Uh, which are some of the greatest video games ever made. The Nolan trilogy, the Reeves Batman movie a couple times, and dozens of YouTube videos. I was basically on a Batman vacation, and it got me thinking... Why has Batman's popularity transcended comic books? Like, why does literally everyone know who Batman is? Is this a rhetorical question, or are you asking me right now? No, this is a question that I have a bunch of answers for. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> I feel like I touched a little bit on it. I I think that he's the superhero without superpowers. Yeah, that's definitely part so of that's it. That's huge. Like, and he's I also, know... as a billionaire, he's very relatable as well. Totally. Yeah. That's one thing I could totally imagine yeah. being. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know you could make this same argument for Iron Man or Captain America or really any core Avenger, but that is a phenomenon from the last decade or so. And Batman has been in the public consciousness for as long as anyone can remember. Like, how does my wife, who's never read a comic book in her life, know who the Penguin is? Like, that is kind of an obscure character, you know, and uh, everybody knows who the Penguin is. And... Batman has been reimagined for nearly every generation for the last 80-ish years. Like, everyone has their Batman. For instance, my love started with Batman the Animated Series. It sounds like yours may have started with Batman Beyond. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think it was Batman Beyond. Uh, I mean, I did enjoy the campy movies, um, Batman and Robin, George Clooney, and uh, Tim Burton. 
Michelle Pfeiffer. That was Tim Burton's, wasn't it? Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer. But I don't think it really became like a low key obsession until Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. Those were like basically on rewatch. The Dark Knight was on rewatch, but also Batman Begins. I figured out the. I think I might have talked about this, but the best way to watch the Nolan trilogy is you start with the Dark Knight, and you're like, oh, man, I need to see where this goes. So I better watch Dark Knight Rises. And like, oh, I forgot to watch Batman Begins. I better watch the other two again. <laughs> That's pretty much how the Nolan trilogy works. Yeah. But uh, like before us, people were becoming obsessed with either the 1943 film or the 1949 film or the 1966 show all titled some variation of the words bat and man and numerous <laughs> film adaptations from Burton and Schumacher and Nolan and Reeves. They're all inserting different pieces into the Batman filmographic mythos. Like is Batman campy or is he scary or is he a cheesy merchandising shill or is he gritty and realistic or is he emo? Mm. He's all of those things at the same time somehow because his influence is generational and it's each generation's idea of him builds on and expands on the last. Like, I grew up with the animated Batman, so I thought he was a gritty, dark 1930s to 1950s-ish superhero because that's kind of the aesthetic of that show. But I also knew in the back of my mind that Batman is supposed to be kind of cheesy because I kind of knew that about the 60s show as well. Like, I don't Have know. you seen any of that with Adam West? Oh, yeah. It's got, like, the painted-on eyebrows. <laughs> I just the, When I think of that TV series... I think of him like running through the streets carrying like a round bomb. It looks like the bomb emoji, like an old school bomb. Yeah. And it's like the the wick is like burning. And then he's like looking for a place to throw it. And there's like a bunch of school kids over here, a bunch of nuns over there. He's just like running around like <laughs> nuns. <laughs> it's so, so ridiculous. When I think of that show, I think about him doing like the John Travolta dance. Oh, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I think about 1960s. But I can't think of any superhero who has that kind of staying power. Like, Superman has been around forever, but he doesn't really have universal acclaim as being awesome because he's kind of a dork. Uh-huh. You know, like, Superman... I never thought Superman was even remotely cool until the Zack Snyder movie, which mm. made him kind of cool. And I doubt, like, I could mention Jimmy Olsen to my wife and have her instantly know who that is. Like, even Superman doesn't have that kind of universal lore spliced into the public consciousness. No, it definitely isn't. And I I think we've had this conversation. I think one of the limitations of Superman as a character is it's difficult to, like, it kind of kills creativity when you have somebody that's just invincible. Yeah. And so they have to, like, write in, like, oh, kryptonite makes him weak because otherwise there's just no interesting plot points to somebody that's, like, bulletproof, that can turn back time. There's, like, no no stakes when you have a character like that. Just give him frost breath for some (laughs) reason now. Laser eyes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But Batman, on the other hand, he keeps coming back better than ever. And I want to know why that is. So I found this article by Byron Lafayette on this site, Bam Smack Pal, that deep dives into the driving forces of Batman's popularity. So Mr. Lafayette proposes that there are three primary reasons that Batman speaks on such a primal level to so many people. And it's rooted in the concept of fear and the ideas of the psychiatrist Carl Jung. Ooh, I love some Carl Jung. He was all about archetypes, right? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, I'll Jungian, just, I was uh, once you take a it from here? Jungian psychologist. No, no, no. <laughs> Were you? No, not at all. I've like read a couple was of- Was this your minor at Harvard? Yeah, uh, it, 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 I was thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the first reason that this article proposes that Batman is so popular is the concept of fear. Like Batman embodies fear. 
And fear is an emotion that everyone on the planet can relate to. Like, we feel mm. it every day. Batman takes fear and uses it as a tool to embolden himself. He faces his greatest fear from his childhood, which is bats, and he turns it on his head. He's literally taking that fear as his persona. And when people tell you to face your fears, that is Batman personified. Totally. This is why skydiving is so alluring. I bet you guys didn't know we were going to talk about skydiving today. But... uh Spoiler alert, yeah. we talk about it a lot. <laughs> that and UFOs. <laughs> so the fear of heights is burned into our animal instincts. And skydiving is an outlet that not only allows you to face your fear, but to embody it, to make heights your superpower, to take the idea of falling and master it to such a finite level that you can literally fly. Like it's a power that every human wants. If you ask people what superpower they want, so many people say flying, and that's skydiving. True, and yeah. That's Batman. The power to turn fear into your greatest strength. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a good point. So the next reason is where Carl Jung comes in. So Carl Jung spoke of archetypes, like you said, and the collective unconsciousness. And I'm quoting this article here. And uh, this article says that archetypes and collective unconsciousness is how we describe uh, how so many people all over the world have similar fears and intuitive reactions. For example, fear of outsiders or the dark. This is a collective fear that exists all over the world. It is a fear of the boogeyman, a character or creature that lives in the dark and lives to do, do harm to those in the light. And this article calls Batman a reverse boogeyman. Mm. He's an archetype of fear, a creature that stalks the shadows, but one that innocents don't need to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Only the evildoers must fear Batman, and that is a very alluring concept. Interesting. So the final point from this article is very Carl Jung heavy, and I'm, I'm no Jungian expert like you apparently, uh, <laughs> but I can follow these concepts just fine. So I'll be quoting this article quite a bit. Again, these are not necessarily my thoughts. I wish I'd come up with this evaluation of Batman, but uh, I'm not quite as deep into this as Byron Lafayette. Like He definitely knows his Batman. So this article references the primal natures that humans carry within. This is referred to as the shadow by Carl Jung. And it's described as being the sum of all human weakness, anger, and other animal instincts. So this is another Carl Jung quote. The shadow is a moral problem that challenges the whole ego personality, for no one can become conscious of the shadow without considerable moral effort. To become conscious of it involves recognizing the dark aspects of the personality as present and real. This act is the essential condition for any kind of self-knowledge. And then Byron goes on to explain that we all have a shadow, a dark side, but we are taught from a young age to hide or suppress it. And that's probably a good thing for society. I don't think we want everyone running around expressing their shadow side to the public. Mm, Yeah, that doesn't sound good. But Batman is a man that lives with his shadow. He's a billionaire philanthropist by day, depending on the adaptation you subscribe to. But by night, he embraces the shadow, which is Batman. So this is more young. We carry our past with us to wit the primitive and inferior man with his desires and emotions. And it is only with an enormous effort that we can detach ourselves from this burden. If it comes to a neurosis, we invariably have to deal with a considerably intensified shadow. And if such a person wants to be cured, it is necessary to find a way in which his conscious personality and his shadow can live together. Interesting. So Batman lives with his shadow. He desires it, and it may actually be his true form. And he shows everyone that our shadows don't have to destroy us. Like we can use the shadow to empower us and possibly do good with it. I think 
many people may fear their true nature and Batman shows us how to turn all that fear, that danger, that scary side of humanity and use it to make us powerful beings. Nice. Yeah. That's super interesting. You know, and I know for sure in Christopher Nolan's trilogy, there's a couple lines in there when he's talking about like leaving the Batman, uh, persona behind and you know, uh, God, it was, uh, What's the girl's name? I'm drawing a blank here. I wanted to say Katie Holmes, but it ended up Rachel being, yeah, Rachel. Thank you. And she's saying like, you never can because that is who you actually are. It's Bruce Wayne. That's the mask. Like that's the part that you're playing to protect the identity of your true identity, which is Batman. So I've always kind of taken that to mean what you're saying is like, not only does he embrace it, like he is that. And that's like a big part of, the Reeves Batman movie, like in that movie, the Batman, uh, Bruce Wayne is kind of like, he's almost not even a real person. Like yeah. Batman is like 95% of him. Yeah. And then occasionally when he puts on like a mask to be Bruce Wayne, like he says, like one of the, I think the first thing he says in that movie is two years of nights have turned me into a nocturnal animal. Where mm. He's just Batman. That's like all he is. Mm-hmm. And then when he goes out in public, to go to like the funeral or whatever it is in that movie. And Alfred mentions that he, that, Oh, an appearance by master Wayne. It's like such a crazy thing. Cause it never happens. Everybody's yeah. like taking pictures of him when he shows up. Cause Bruce Wayne never shows his face. And he's even pastier in that than Robert Pattinson is in the vampire movie. And he sparkles in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It really took Tenet to turn Robert Pattinson around. But dude, now I am a, huge fan who is it he's my favorite batman that's ever existed we totally man crush on robert pattinson these days it's crazy i love too in that movie how like bruce wayne being so pasty and like you can tell he doesn't like looking at light (laughs) that's totally what would happen if you were a batman because for sure you'd be you'd be out every single night right when the sun went down and then you'd want to get back just in time just after that beautiful orange glow of sunrise that happened so many times in that movie, that's like the latest that Batman wants to be out. And you would, yeah. the daytime would be like a nightmare to you. Right. You just yeah. want to get back to Batmaning. Yeah. So on top of all this, plus people do love, like you said, a superhero they can imagine being like the superpower of having billions of dollars and the free time to dedicate towards shaping your body into a lethal instrument. While not practical or likely, is at least feasible in the world we inhabit. It's way more feasible than being from Krypton or being able to run so fast you can travel back in time like the Flash. Yeah. In fact, having billions of dollars is basically the superhero starter kit in this world. So it is at least relatable. And I found a list of the greatest superhero film adaptations of all time. And that list includes the original Superman trilogy, Batman the Animated Series, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, Nolan's Batman trilogy, the MCU, the Batman Arkham games, the PlayStation Spider-Man games, Wonder Woman, Black Panther, Netflix's Daredevil, and the Zack Snyder DC Universe, including Batfleck. And of the 13 properties on this list, four of them are Batman or Batman adjacent. And that's a huge portion of the most popular mainstream superheroes. Like, no one even comes close except Spider-Man. And Brett, don't get me started on Spider-Man. I, <laughs> I don't think we have time. <laughs> when I was when I was down here in your nerdatorium, uh, and so how old is Isla now? 
She'll be seven in like a month. Okay, so you had your Batman book on the desk, and I, I'm like setting up the microphone and like getting my laptop open, and Isla's like looking at the Batman book, and she's like, "Batman's pretty cool." Oh, dude, <laughs> she like, loves yeah. Batman. She's been uh, on this vacation. She would, I would, I was playing all the Batman games on my Steam Deck, the greatest video games ever made, and. After, like the second week or whatever, you know, like midway through the second week, we're there. She'd be like, "Dad, will you play Batman?" She just want to like sit in my lap and watch me play Batman. Oh, that's awesome! It's so awesome. It's like that's like watching a cartoon that every you know, like ten minutes, you're doing like some crazy fight or like some Batmobile yeah. sequence. It's amazing. And yeah, have you, have you ever seen those polls that are like uh, they ask uh, men? what are the odds? Like, do you think you could land a plane if like both pilots are incapacitated and they're like, ah, someone needs to land this plane. And like 70% of men are like, yeah, I could do it. I wonder what the percentage of men would be like, yeah, if we gave you like a billion dollars, could you just get like super ripped and become like the best detective, best crime fighter? I wonder what the percentage of men would be like, yeah, I could be Batman. still be your same slovenly (laughs) billionaire self that you are now. Exactly. Like Uh, all the, all of this to me, it is kind of strange for a character that literally wears his underwear outside of his pants. So maybe even put some, <laughs> some nipples, some embossed like, ooh, nipples on the outside of his suit. Nipples. Just so you know where his nipples would be if that was his bare chest. In case you are not familiar with male anatomy. <laughs> but do you know why these golden age superheroes were designed that way with the underwear on the outside? I do not. So that actually goes back to the thirties when comics were created Okay. Uh, back then, they weren't taken seriously as real art form. And as such, they weren't afforded the best printing solutions. So they were basically like cheap four-color print jobs. Sure. And because of this, they needed a way to make the character stand out on the page to break up the silhouette. So the crotchal region, the grundle, if you will, <laughs> was designed to stand out from the rest of the costume to break up the upper body from the lower body. Did you write grundle in your notes? And crotchal. <laughs> And the easiest way to do that was color it, a, make it a contrasting color from the rest of the design. Hence, underwear on the outside. Okay, yeah, yeah. like red, red and blue. But what's Batman? What's the color? Is it like a yellow outline? No, usually like the classic Batman, he's like gray, and then he has blue mm, underwear. That's and like right. Blue okay. Boots. Yeah. So, Brett, I don't know if I found a definitive answer for why Batman transcends the once dorky medium of comic books and occupies such a huge portion of the public's consciousness. Like, did I find a definitive reason for why my wife, my parents, my children, people from all walks in life and demographics know who the penguin is? Like, maybe <laughs> that last one is a little more localized of a phenomenon, honestly, around me because I won't stop talking about Batman to all the people that I know. Yeah. But maybe, uh, maybe not. It is complicated, but I have a, I have a personal theory. Ooh. It's because Batman is just so fucking badass. <laughs> Case closed, Brett. <laughs> Case closed. Nice. Yeah, I mean he's got uh he's got the all the tools. He's got the vehicles. He's got like the ultimate man cave. Yeah. Yeah. The bat cave. The bat cave. Dude. Batman's the best. <sighs> well, I'm glad that uh me covering Batman Beyond got you down this. I was gonna say uh bat hole but it's more of a <laughs> bat adjacent rabbit hole uh, yes babbit bat it bat it no. hole yeah Ugh. doesn't sound right that doesn't work no <laughs> well thanks for uh sharing that with me so it sounds like you had a lot of batman related content on your uh content circuit do you have Almost any other exclusively exclusively yeah i have uh, a 
I had one other thing, but uh, you might just have to wait till next episode to hear about it. Ooh. Yeah, why don't you tell me about your content circuit? Oh, well, I brought a prop for that because I've already mentioned it once, but I feel like I need to show you my full getup for the event. All right. Oh, these are pink Barbenheimer glasses. They're hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see my shirt? Yeah. I happen to buy the shirt. Titan? Uh, you know, I don't know. That's what it is. Let me okay. just tell you. That's what it is. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it looked cool. Let me just tell you what clothes you're wearing. Had some Japanese writing on it. Like a half-dissolved face. Mm-hmm. Very Barbenheimer-esque. Is it? I guess you would be have all your skin fried off of a nuke went off. I mean, yeah. Near you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it was, uh, I, I really enjoyed that whole experience and I have to recommend both movies to, uh, anybody that's interested in content. And what's weird is Barbie was like rather existential and like dealt a lot with death, like the continuation of ideas, like people die, but ideas live forever. And, and once we put an idea out into the world, it can change, it can transform. So it was a, a lot more philosophical than I expected for a movie about, plastic dolls interesting i yeah. actually figured it would have to be something like that yeah i mean they'd have to expand it and you know make it modernize it for current day audience oh yeah yeah so and, it, it and it's, it's, it's a movie for i think it's a movie for people because i remember when i told you that i was going to see barbenheimer you said i, I you'd never get me to uh watch <laughs> barbie because i i just took the barbies and cut their heads off and cut like burn their hair that's what I tested my uh, homemade guillotine on. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's so twisted. Well, there's a part in the movie where they have like weird Barbie and like her hair's all messed up. Somebody drew on her face, and I leaned over and whispered quietly, "That's Josh's Barbie. That's <laughs> that's what his Barbie looked like." So what is it? They're like live action Barbies, then, or what? Yeah, it's the, like a mix. Yeah. It's like uh, they live in Barbie Land, and Barbie Land everything goes well because it's all run by women. And course, then classic. she she starts having uh, thoughts of death, basically, and then she tra- travels to Los Angeles, where men rule the world, like into the real world. So it's a yeah, exactly into the real. So it's a, a very interesting um, sort of uh, take on both like the line of toys and their impact on society and society itself. But Oppenheimer, it's a little bit more like it's following the story of Robert Oppenheimer. So I was very happy. Another thing on my content circuit was the Manhattan Project series from last podcast on the left. That was oh, like, dude, that was what, amazing. six parts, like probably eight, nine hours of content. And if I didn't have that context, I feel like I would have been a lot more lost. Um, but apparently Oppenheimer is incredibly accurate. It's like historically accurate. Uh, you might have heard this too. There's no CG. So it's mm-hmm. all practical effects, which is really cool. It's classic Nolan. Classic Nolan, like pushing the pushing the envelope. Definitely one of his best movies. I mean, it's everybody's calling it Nolan's best film. It's I saw incredible. A, a ranking of like all 10 of his movies and uh, from Rotten Tomatoes and Oppenheimer and Dark Knight were tied. Oh, yeah. And I was like, holy shit, because like Dark Knight is like almost unbeatable as a movie. Oh, man, Oppenheimer is, is so good. But if I hadn't listened to that last podcast on the left series, I might think like some of the things in the movie are exaggerated, but all these like little stories about what actually happened in history, like one of the, I think it's like a high-ranking general or somebody that was responsible for selecting the target for the atomic bombs 
actually took Kyoto off the list because him and his wife had vacationed there on their honeymoon. And oh he's like, ah, Kyoto's, Kyoto's too beautiful. So I'm just going to go ahead and remove that from the list. Like, here's the oh, other man. 11 targets. And I would have thought, like, that's an interesting social commentary in the movie. But because of the series that I listened to, like, that actually happened. Like, that's a thing. It's so wild. And so, I in, in that series, it talked about how Nagasaki was, like, kind of selected as an afterthought. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's... We were just like, oh, oh, this, oh, we have clouds over this other target. Target, just send it to Nagasaki today. Oh my god, that is so messed up, man. <laughs> you got to see it. Um, oh, besides that, my content circuit, the Evil Dead duology. Oh yes, you were texting me while you were watching it, but yeah, let's hear some. Uh... I hated every second of it. <laughs> oh, good. I it, guess it was a horrifying. Exactly no, I loved what I was it. Going for absolutely fantastic movies. I felt like knowing a little bit of the backstory of the Necronomicon and the Deadites really enhanced my enjoyment. I love when they have like a real, like a, a world building exercise happening behind the scenes that they don't really necessarily outright explain, but it's all accurate to what they figured out beforehand. And I just, I love that. And it shows through in the quality of content like this especially when you have like two independent films but they and they have like slightly different takes but they follow the same set of rules that was my favorite thing about those movies so good like the the uh lore Mm -hmm. it does all just work together but Mm -hmm. they weren't making them as like a shared universe necessarily yeah they they were just saying like oh there's this other necronomicon and it has slightly different rules and it releases a different demon yeah, but you know, yeah. like it just like plays in the same universe, but it's not like oh, we have to worry so much about you know all continuity matching up. Which, like, as cool as that is with Marvel, I totally have like continu- continuity fatigue. Yeah, you know, oh, like, yeah everything with Marvel has to be so perfectly in sync, and it's like sometimes that's to the detriment of the story. Oh, I love continuity. I mean, I love it too, but just the whole thing, like, it's not so bad actually with Marvel. But then we're like. DC starts doing it. Everybody else starts doing it where it's like that's the primary focus instead of like making a good movie, just making the continuity match. That's like when stuff starts to fall apart. So MCU, like they're awesome at that, but they kind of created like a like a pop cultural monster. And now like everybody wants yeah. to have a shared universe. I just like the way that Evil Dead does it where they're not so worried about it being perfect. They're just like, we just take the coolest parts of each of the lore and just like sprinkle them into both movies. And they're like by different directors. The directors aren't communicating with each other and making sure everything right, matches. Right, that's what you're saying. Know? Yeah. What did you think of uh, Ben Affleck's Batman? I mean, it was pretty awesome, but I don't know. Did you did you ever see Flash? That I haven't seen that. that. Ezra Miller flop? No. I but liked like the idea killing of... killing people? I, I see. I don't even know really what the plot was. Well, no, that. you're just talking about Ben Affleck. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. I really did like the look of it and everything, mm-hmm. but well, actually, the concept of Batman not killing people has always been kind of funny to me. Like, so many people would die of sepsis, sepsis shock in back alleys where he broke all their bones and just <laughs> left them. Oh yeah, Batman doesn't kill anyone. That's like part of the fun of it, though. Is <laughs> is he's he's like telling himself like. <laughs> I, I'm a hero. Like I don't, I don't, day at the office. Yeah. Yeah. Just a couple of, you know, like <laughs> gentle punches to the face while like people are maimed for the rest of their life. Like yeah. surely in the Batman Arkham games has like the most brutal takedowns because the, the fighting in those games is so awesome. It uses this like free flow combat style where mm-hmm. you really only have like three things. You have 
attack, you have counter, and then you have your gadgets. And the objective is to like keep your combo going as long as possible. But then there'll be like these environmental takedowns where they'll grab a, a, a bad guy and like smash their face into an electrical box, or he'll like he'll like jump up. But in he the doesn't air kill. He doesn't kill. People. That's the important thing. He'll cut this like big gigantic light off the ceiling and it'll smash down on their heads. Oh yeah, I'm sure they're fine. <laughs> He's just so good at just pulling the punches to the most minute level that just puts them right on the verge of death, but doesn't murder them. <laughs> I mean, you got to have some rules. I feel like if you're putting on a bat costume, it's important to set strong boundaries. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, don't ever go out when it's light. Be as pasty as Robert Pattinson. But, like, <laughs> Sparkle Batfleck, if you can. He uses... There's, like, scenes where he's using guns and stuff. Oh, yeah. Which, it is pretty cool, but it's not like... You can tell it's like an alternate reality take. Did you ever Batman. see the Snyder Cut? Yeah. Okay, I don't know if I dope. ever saw the like yeah, the longer movies are all Snyder, pretty awesome in like Batman Snyder versus Cut. Superman. Well, what I like, what I I liked the idea of the Flash movie um, having uh, Michael Keaton return as Batman, and there it's kind of like a multiverse um, take, but it just didn't get very good reviews. It's it's kind of a flop, and I think I'm just gonna wait to see it on like a, an airplane while I'm half taking a nap. Yeah, I'll just sadly. wait until it comes out on Max or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get into the content. Ooh, content. Clear it out. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. All right, Brett, you've been really building this content oh, piece man, up, I'm man. very excited about this. I can't this. wait to hear I'm it. I'm very curious if you've ever seen this. Um, I think I'm going to take these Barbie glasses off, actually. Please do. <laughs> Being this close in real life, oof, it's starting to creep me out a little bit. Well, I am about to recommend a show to you that is so unique, both visually and narratively. I can guarantee that you have never watched anything like this before. Unless you've actually watched this specific show, then you've definitely seen something exactly like this. (laughs) Just like it. (laughs) All right. Uh, So this series was a COVID binge watch for me. I remember watching the trailer during lockdown when I was just looking for something to to binge on and the trailer alone immediately intrigued me, but it still didn't prepare me for how good this was. As soon as I started watching it, I couldn't stop. I binged all eight episodes in season one in one sitting, which is actually a little bit more doable than it sounds. I I did do a rewatch complete rewatch while I was at work uh, in preparation for writing this outline and delivering it to you. Um, each episode is approximately 23 minutes long. So with eight oh, episodes, totally yeah, it's it's a it's a total season runtime of three hours and four minutes. That's one night of me not being able to sleep. <laughs> it's because you're watching Evil Dead before bed. <laughs> That's my comfort That's movie. The pro- yeah, That's why you're thrashing around in your sleep. <laughs> so that's I I looked it up and it's actually ten minutes shorter than James Cameron's Titanic. Rest in peace, Jack. His worst movie. <laughs> Have you seen Avatar 2? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Don't even compare that to Titanic. <laughs> I wasn't. I was just asking. Thank goodness. Going off on a lot of tangents. Revoke your fake contentology well, degree. Seeing you feels like hanging out instead of doing the show. So it's it's going to be hard to stay on topic. It's kind of weird hanging out, honestly. <laughs> Why can't you believe the, we used to be friends. Go in the other room and let's set up a Discord let's call. Let's do that. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to break all our equipment down. 
Um, so there, there's a lot of reasons to watch this Prime original uh, from the Tornante production company and Amazon Studios, but I'm really going to try and cater my recommendation to you specifically, Josh, because there are three particular things which I know that you'll enjoy. But before I tell you how I am targeting you with my rec, I would like to pose a hypothetical question. As we do. <laughs> As we do sometimes. We always start this way. <laughs> Uh, if a family member or loved one came to you talking about hearing voices, changing timelines, having visions, and you know they are genetically predisposed to having schizophrenia, what would you do? Would you support their decision to avoid taking their prescribed antipsychotic pills while they spiraled into a paranoid frenzy of research to solve family mysteries? Or would you be inclined to at all to believe them and support their last minute trip to Mexico while they frantically explain to you things that sound a little bit out there. This is hypothetical. <laughs> this is a hypothetical. <laughs> I'm not asking for a friend, I promise. Mm, well, my, I don't know if my passport's up to date, so I don't know about this whole Mexico thing. But <laughs> I, I mean, I guess it would depend on if it was someone that I trusted and if they had a history of familial history of schizophrenia because if they had that then i would probably recommend they seek help as much as i wish that i live in some kind of cool multiversal content piece uh, <laughs> i don't think that if we do it's not accessible to us okay well obviously uh, i'm touching on the premise of the content i'm discussing <laughs> so let's do the spoiler warning <laughs> Uh, there's spoilers ahead, but I actually weirdly think I managed to keep this episode like spiritually spoiler-free-ish. Well, you know our take on spoilers here. Anything that we think is going to make you want to consume it more, we're just going to say it. Yeah. So, spoiler alert. We actually considered calling the show Spoiler Alert, but then there was like five other podcasts called that, so we didn't Oh, I forgot it. about that. But uh, spoiler uh. alert. Yeah. <laughs> um, the reason I think that this is like semi quasi spoiler free is because I will be talking a lot about the elements of the series, which make it great and not necessarily the plot in depth. And even if we do get into the plot a little more than I intend to, I'll still be leaving out some surprise twists and mysteries. And some of these mysteries are literally baked into the show and can't necessarily be solved anyway. So basically exactly what they taught us at Harvard and contentology school. I do yeah. it that way. That's what do we always do. <laughs> do it that yeah, way. Exactly. So to get into it, like I said, I'm going to focus my recommendation on three aspects that I know will appeal to you. First of all, the unique story, which uses a nonlinear timeline to explore fascinating themes like mental illness, time travel, spirituality, and the nature of reality. Secondly, the incredibly stunning animation technique, which before conducting my contentology research for this episode, I had never heard of this. I was, I was completely unfamiliar with this animation style. And then finally, but maybe most importantly for you, Bob motherfucking Odenkirk. Ooh, I do love everything <laughs> I've ever seen him in. <laughs> now, it's probably pretty obvious I'm not talking about Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul. Or Mr. Show. Or Mr. Show. <laughs> uh, today, or I the am... the movie Nobody. You're, you are a Bob Odenkirk yeah. fan. You're like a Bob Odenkirk super fan. Any more on the list? I'll, I'll interrupt you if I think it'll Okay, perfect. <laughs> I appreciate that. So today, I am t uh, discussing the lesser known, but obviously, uh, excuse me, absolutely mind-blowing season one of the television series, Undone. 
I've never even heard oh, of this. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited! You know how rare this is. I'm so excited for it to be right like now. something that we've that I that one of us hasn't even heard of. But this is this that and is this. I think this crazy. is pretty common with this show. It's it's weird how few people have heard of this. Yeah. So Un- Undone premiered in September 2019 on Amazon Prime Video to critical acclaim. It is Amazon's first adult animated original series and its first to use rotoscoping, which I will talk about later. The show was created by Kate Purdy and Raphael Bob Waxberg and is categorized as an American adult animated psychological comedy drama. Wow, that's Those- a mouthful. <laughs> it really is. Those are the words <laughs> off of Wikipedia. <laughs> God. Do you need to hear that again? The elevator pitch? <laughs> it takes like six floors to get American it out. adult animated psychological comedy drama. Okay, so there's a lot of descriptive words in there, which is indicative of genre blended content, which I know you love. Mm-hmm. But it's I the have best. it is the best. I, I have another word salad to share with you. So on my rewatch last week, I decided to keep a note of all the topics explored and undone. And this is that list boiled down a bit. I'm gonna try to do this quickly. <clears throat> Family, betrayal, mental illness, childhood bullying, suicide, shamans, death, indigenous cultures, heritage, time travel, language, deafness, communication, afterlife, sign language, relationships, gaslighting, marriage, infidelity, classism, Catholicism, consciousness, work life and balance, ancestral trauma, dance, partying, uh, excuse me, parenting, obsession, following a higher calling, lighting the Paschal candle, and seven different mustards. I like how deafness was a question. <laughs> deafness? <laughs> bees no it's definitely deafness is in there for sure uh so this is a show that truly embodies a lot and it holds it all with perfect execution while we travel on a mind-blowing journey through time and space as seen through the eyes of the main character alma all of the characters in undone are deeply layered and well-developed one of the best things about this show is that the characters are complex they're not simply caricatures or archetypes but rather they feel like real people with complex emotions, motivations, and relationships. The main character, Alma, is particularly compelling due to her struggles with mental health and her journey through time and space. Alma is expertly played by Rosa Salazar, and I think she's now Netflix famous for her starring role in Brand New Cherry Flavor. I've never heard of that Okay, either. Yeah, that's, I, I watched a few episodes. It's Going obscure. A lot of gruesome stuff on uh, Brand New Cherry Flavor, but Rosa Salazar's awesome in that, and she's just amazing in that. What this. kind of gruesome? I love gruesome. Uh, like vomiting out baby cats. Good, well. Very weird. That sounds way worse than Very out there. Evil Dead. <laughs> what, what, was the, what was the name of that creature at the end of Evil Dead Rise? Is the that Marauder. Thing? Oh. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Which one of those did you like better? Evil. Uh, well, you mean which one did I hate more? Which way? Which one did you hate <laughs> better? I mean, Evil Dead Rise. Like, w- f- to be scared, that was probably the scariest movie I've ever seen. Really? And you've told me horror movies that you said were the, the scariest that you had seen, and I was like, yeah, they're all right. Martyrs. Yeah, martyrs. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't think, I thought it was interesting. Didn't think it was that scary. Evil Dead Rise, it really got under my skin. I, I had to watch it over like multiple, like two days. I mean, I was scared to watch it on a full airplane with all the lights on, on my iPad. I had to like turn it off. A I'd feel times. weird watching that in public. Yeah. I had yeah. To, I, that was one of the reasons I turned it off. See, I, a lot I of blood on that. thought this might be because I watched 
the first one so many times that I wasn't <laughs> scared of this of Evil Dead Rise. But like I felt like Evil Dead to me, that was the one that made me afraid to turn my back on dark places in my house. But then by the time I got to Evil You're Dead no Rise, Batman. I felt like I was desensitized enough. But do you think that one was scarier because of like the familial aspect? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think something about the actress, like her performance. Oh my god, the peephole scene. Yeah, yeah, just Open all of now. it. Just so so creepy. Let's not talk about it anymore. <laughs> Let's get back to Come undone. Back to this, <laughs> this heartwarming <laughs> schizophrenia tale. <laughs> okay, so the foundational mystery of undone, in my opinion, is this question. Are we witnessing a mental health breakdown from the perspective of Alma, the delusions and hallucinations, symptoms of a schizophrenic episode, or is our protagonist with her unique brain structure and indigenous roots actually seeing and experiencing real visions from the future and the past? Is Alma losing her grip on reality, or is Alma able to access more of reality and actually having full-blown conversations with her deceased father? Is she crazy? Or is she navigating multiple dimensions of reality that us normies just don't have access to? I mean, if this was really happening, that would be... It'd be like... It's like Terminator 2. Oh, something else I watched on vacation. Mm. It's like no one believes Sarah Connor mm-hmm. about Judgment Day, even though she's 100% right. Because like that... The idea of like a robot coming back in time is completely unprecedented in the, in the, the stuff of sci-fi. So, like, if a scenario like yeah. this was happening, it was the first time it had ever happened, but someone was tapping into, like, like peering across the veil or something, just everyone would be assuming that this person was crazy just because, like, if it were real, it was it would be completely unprecedented and there would be no frame of reference for, like, any doctor or anyone to have any reason to believe you. Uh, that you've actually kind of hit the nail on the head with like that's the perfect way of looking at it like the perfect metaphor because well, that's, that's what a, I do <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like you graduated from harvard <laughs> which i did uh so the best way to sum up the plot comes from one of alma's lines in episode five while she re- uh, reveals to her boyfriend what she is experiencing so this is a quote from the show I'm seeing my dead father because of my big brain ventricles, and he's training me to travel in time so I can save him from being murdered. Oh, my God. And if you're, it's like you said, if your friend or your loved one said this to you, you would probably be extremely concerned for their well-being. But because we are experiencing this story through Alma's perspective, it actually feels really frustrating when Alma's loved ones express their concern for her health. Like, you, you want to tell them to get out of Alma's way. Like, she's doing important work. And they yeah, aren't being from compassionate. Her perspective. Yeah, exactly. You know what? If this happened, I can actually tell you exactly what my reaction would be. I would be completely fascinated if somebody told me that. And I would sit him down and ask like a thousand questions. And I'd probably ask a lot of the same questions over and over. And if it stayed consistent, I'd probably be inclined to believe them. And then I would monitor them for like weeks and weeks. And if I, if I still saw consistency, I'd probably start believing them. Well, that, you know, I think one of the, and again, I just think about like, if you told me this, uh-huh. what I would do, and that's exactly uh-huh. what I would do. Uh-huh. One of the, um, I would say the little clues, but see, it's not a clue because there, I, I don't think there is a, a definitive answer in this show 
of what is actually happening. But she does have experiences and interactions with people. Because when you're seeing things through Elma's perspective, you're like, oh, this is reality. This is happening. When, And then you're kind of brought back down to earth when she has these conversations with her family members. And they're just, they just obviously don't believe her. They're like, you're, you're, you know, like, are you okay? You're not taking that medication. Um, was she already like thought to be crazy before this happened? No, like, no, she got, had... she got in a car accident and she got a, a brain injury and it kind of shook things loose. Mm. And from her perspective, her father kind of caused the accident cause he needed to get things going. But there, but there's lots of evidence to suggest that she might actually be experiencing different realities. She might be this shaman princess, but the I think some of the biggest clues is that she she will have these interactions with like her family or strangers where she knows things that she shouldn't know and it's like oh maybe you can explain it away like there because there'll always be like a counterpoint of like you know it's kind of like the UFOs like you are like oh well like th- people saw this people saw that there's always going to be a counterpoint out there of like that's ah, just a bird like the you know so like somebody always wants to <laughs> shit on your parade. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not a bad thing to um, be skeptical, especially when it comes to, you know, outlandish claims. Um, but, it, you know, this, this idea that Alma is experiencing these things and her family is having a difficult time really understanding her, it's a really interesting storytelling, a storytelling element. And let's talk about some of the other story elements that are super unique and i feel like only the bravest of storytellers really take this on because it's so difficult to pull off well um so like i said it's it's after alma gets in a car accident she begins experiencing time in a non-linear fashion and i realized a few things about this approach first of all it allows you to delve into the more profound themes in the show in a very specific way, which chronological storytelling wouldn't allow. This, the non-linear timeline is not merely a narrative device, but it's a lens through which the audience can explore these themes in, in, more new, in a more nuanced way, deeper. Uh, also, by presenting events out of chronological order, Undone encourages viewers to piece together Alma's story themselves. Now, I think this technique can backfire, uh, historically, I struggle with chronologically abnormal storytelling. Memento. <laughs> Memento is on my list. So is Tenet. As a serious Christopher Nolan fan, I struggle to wrap my mind around both of those movies. I, I can't tell you how many YouTube videos I've watched explaining Tenet's plot. I find people traveling back through time, interacting with other characters who are traveling forwards. Oh, my God. That is crazy. It's very confusing. He's r- Nolan's really good at that, <laughs> He loves it. Yeah. And I, I loves know, that shit. I know I'm not alone in this. Uh, I in one of these tenant uh, videos that I was watching, the comments on the YouTube videos were hilarious about people just having a, a tough time understanding that. But in the case of Undone, I found the nonlinear timeline really grabbed my attention. I was eager to figure out what was happening, and it didn't give me that same feeling like Nolan was just belittling and confusing me for not understanding it. For the audience, trying to put the pieces together in the proper order really allows viewers to engage more actively in the dialogue and plot. This innovative storytelling technique combined with the complex thematic exploration sets Undone apart from traditional narratives. Interesting. Do you think that uh, it stands up there with, like, I would consider some of the best nonlinear storytelling 
content ever would be like Memento and Tenet. Like, do you think it stands up there with those? I do. I mean, I think it really pulls it off. Interesting. I mean, it, I they're can't u- never heard of this. They're using it to only enhance the the narrative and what they're trying to do like they're not trying to confuse you they're trying to create a mystery and they're trying to engage you that's my opinion at least that's awesome whereas well, i your feel opinion like is uh very qualified yeah. you got that degree <laughs> it's on the wall yeah exactly for some reason it's hanging on my wall <laughs> yeah. your degree probably because i made both of them in photoshop you know like since i we can compare this this type of storytelling to memento i do think memento achieved the same the, like the the same way in that it the goal was to confuse you because they wanted you to be as confused as the prote- the protagonist which is like in that context is like a completely valid thing to do because that's probably super hard to do it well oh you yeah know, to like make you confused but like in a way that enhances the story I, I think a lot of Nolan's movies too they're kind of they're, they're a different experience watching the first time than watching on subsequent viewings. Like, even Oppenheimer, it's like a historical movie. Do you want to hear any spoilers for Oppenheimer? Probably we shouldn't do that. <laughs> okay. I mean, I guess you could probably crack okay. up a history book. Well, I mean, there were, I don't know. There there was an antagonist in the movie that you really didn't expect. Ah, uh, yeah, let's not yeah, go there. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just think it, you know, it depends on the context of what you're trying to achieve, and I think undone is just trying to engage and create mystery with this type of storytelling and then dive deeper into these plots. But I want to discuss the animation now. All right. This is interesting because I've never heard of rotoscoping as an animation technique. Like I know about it in VFX context of like they use rotoscoping all the time. If they want to like with green screening, they'll okay. like rotoscoping is they'll trace around like whatever the, whatever the subject is and then they'll cut the background out and they'll do that. Like, per frame so that's how you would take like a character that shot on a green screen and then put it into like a digitally created background you rotoscope them which is just the the process of tracing around it frame by frame and cutting it out you nailed it buddy you know what you're talking about i knew nothing about this the bulk of my contentology research for this episode was watching youtube videos about this animation style not only so I could actually kind of understand it for the show, but because it was really interesting to learn about. I've never heard of it as animation style, though. Mm, so, so I'm interested to hear that. Yeah, so Undone, uh, it's really a feast for the eyes. It is a hybrid of live action and animation, thanks to its use of rotoscoping. Um, and as you put it, I have it in my notes, it's an animation technique where animators trace over motion picture footage, frame by frame, basically drawing over video. But I think in this case... Oh, this is how they used to make, like... The old Disney movies. They did. Yeah. They used they used rotoscoping. I didn't know that I think, was for... called rotoscoping though. Mm-hmm. Wait, did they for live? Did they draw over live action? Yeah, for like. Okay. Uh, I think it was like Cinderella. That's right. That's dancing. right. They did. they did it that way. That's right. That's right. That was rotoscoping. Interesting. But so I. So you get like super realistic. Oh, they made oh, like some crappy Lord of the Rings realistic. animated movie that way. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to show you. I think it's going to be easier if you have a little bit of visual context. So I'm going to just play the trailer for you. This will work great for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> well, if your reaction is like stoked about this, then people will want to see it even more. Oh man, yeah, it does. It looks like super stylized. It, I mean, it looks just like the movement and everything looks like uh, real life footage. 
but then the uh, animation style is like real painterly over. It looks like they just took each frame and painted on it. Well, I'm going to talk about it a little yeah, bit. That's really awesome. It looks amazing. Is the Doesn't whole it? is the whole show that way? Yes, but it also varies slightly depending on like what she is experiencing. Didn't so sometimes it looks a little more animated, and then other times it looks more live action, and it's all very specific to what is happening in the plot at that moment. Yeah, that looks like what's the Keanu Reeves movie that uh, Flip Six Three Hold loves? Were they... uh, Point Break. <laughs> That's it. I wrote a scope, scope movie. No, it's a. Uh, was it Johnny Mnemonic? That's like oh, that. Oh, John. I don't think Johnny Mnemonic. One is of the. It's scopes. one of the Keanu. Re- oh my God, Nick He's is gonna going to be yelling at us right now. <laughs> Should we Google it really quick? Let's see. Keanu Reeves. Rotoscope film. Rotoscope. It's got Alex Jones in it. What is that movie called? A Scanner Darkly. Yeah, that's it. Okay, yeah. this looks. This Shut up, Nick. Lo- you. Yeah. Can- <laughs> We're allowed to use the internet, okay? Yeah. <laughs> they can't teach everything. Yeah, but that, I think that's a rotoscope film, too. And then I think get, so. And they get super stylized with it. Hey, it came up when I Googled it, so. There you go. Yeah, yeah that looks like uh, that looks like almost like oil paintings in Undone. Oh, yeah. Let me talk about that. All right. Is Bob Odenkirk her dad? Yes, he is. Nice. <laughs> Spoiler alert. It's in the, it's in the trailer. <laughs> um, okay, so I think to use... Uh, just the t- to say that they used rotoscoping, which is already pretty badass, I think it massively undersells everything that went into the production of Undone. So in one of the several behind-the-scenes features that I watched, I learned that the visuals of Undone were accomplished with a mix of oil paintings, good eye, 3D animation, 2D animation, and rotoscoped animation. So let me talk you through an example that I saw in one of these behind-the-scenes to explain how I sort of think all these techniques came together. I might get something wrong. Um, obviously if I can't follow the plot of Memento or Tenet, I <laughs> probably can't follow the plot of rotoscoping animation. Complex animation <laughs> techniques, which doesn't even have a plot. That's a technique. It's a, exactly. Uh, so for a scene with Alma running through a hallway in the hospital, she's like half in reality, half in a surreal dreamlike universe with a hospital coming together piece by piece as she runs. This is how they did it. So first, a lot of storyboarding was done to plan everything out correctly. Then before they could even film, they had to make a floor plan for the scene. Before filming anything, they had detailed architectural layouts for every scene painstakingly created because there's no location. So they have to have all the measurements and areas planned out ahead of time. Then the actor Rosa would be filmed running through a set with pretty much no set. And all the live action filming, they had these like little QR code looking things, these grids, or they're these like black uh, like plus signs on a white background. All this stuff was displayed behind them so that they could fit everything in correctly. Then that shot would go to the art team. They would have a 3D layout artist who would build a virtual layout in digital art computer land. Uh, then they take that virtual camera through the layout in the same way they shot the actor. Then a different team paints paintings. Oh my God. They take those oil paintings from that team of artists. They combine it with the virtual layout. So they're basically creating a virtual three-dimensional landscape made up of oil paintings. Then with rotoscoping, they trace over the live-action film of the actor actors frame by frame so that they combine it all in virtual 3D land to create this amazing look. 
the visionary God. behind all of this I was. See why the episode is <laughs> only twenty minutes long. Yeah, it was uh, director and primary artist Hisko Holsing that was uh, behind everything. But each episode took like months to make. Oh, I. That's so labor intensive. No, yeah. It's insane. I, I learned in one of his interviews that literally every single backdrop of Undone is an oil painting made in Amsterdam. Whoa. So literally, this entire thing is just beautiful art. That is awesome. It's so cool. So this technique results in a dreamlike, surreal aesthetic that perfectly complements the series' exploration of time and reality. The animation blurs the line between the real and the unreal, and it mirrors Alma's own experiences and mental state. So awesome. <laughs> Dude, how have I never heard of this? This is crazy. This is like right up my alley, It too. really is. You're going to love this. You nailed it with the thing I would like. Oh, I'm so stoked. Uh, so this visual style, it's not only unique and looks awesome, but it's literally integral to the storytelling. It enhances the narrative and thematic depth of Undone. And two more thoughts that I had uh, that I want to mention before I move on from the topic of animation. I think it's pretty cool that the medium blending of the art, where they use you know digital, they use oil, literally all these different types of visual art is such a good complement and seems perfectly fitting to the genre blending of the story. Just like a lot of different elements that you don't usually see together that all fit really well together both visually and i, I like that There's this some, is that thought mm. exactly is like one of the, my favorite things about doing this show because whenever i am like uh, profiling a piece of content i think about it like so much more deeply than i would if i was just like watching it mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that kind of thought is something that about how like the all the art styles coming together like parallels the way the show works mm-hmm. like that's a thought that if I was doing this content piece, that would probably occur to me. But if I was just watching it, it probably wouldn't. That's a good point. So, like, doing doing this show and, like, researching something as I'm watching it or reading it, man, like, it's it enhances the understanding and the experience of consuming it so much for me. It's, like, one of my favorite things about doing this show. It just made me love content even more than I already did. Which is like the whole impetus of doing this in the first place, because I already loved yeah. it so much. Yeah, uh, you know, if we can tell our friends if they want to appreciate content more, they just start a content-related <laughs> podcast. I'd love to subscribe. I love content. Totally. Yeah, maybe we'll <laughs> profile on our show. Yeah. Um, so, lastly, uh, a few of my favorite parts of this weird animation style is that you can have very realistic moments where it looks like it's almost entirely live action with maybe some faint hints of some lines bordering the character or something like that. But in the same episode, you will have fully animated mythological creatures that walk by in the background and somehow they both fit and nothing looks out of place. That's hard to pull off. Yeah, that is. That's awesome. And then one uh, last thought on this animation. So the transitions between moments or times or places, they're so well done and intriguing. And I would just love to see like a compilation video of all of Alma's transitions from like here to there or now or whatever. If you don't know what I mean, you'll know what I mean when you watch it. But the transitions are just mind blowing. Every single one is just it, it just is so interesting. What is it like the world morphs around her? Or yeah. Something? Yeah. Like she'll be having a conversation, you know, she'll be like out floating in space, having a vision and then she'll tumble backwards into her hospital bed. And it's like the way that everything oh, comes together and the way that they combine or like use those transitions. It, it just hooks me every time. 
Yeah, I can't awesome. take my eye. I'm like a very, I hate to admit this on the show, but I sometimes consume content in a very distracted fashion. Like sometimes I'm just trying to turn off my brain. I got like other, you know, I'm brushing my teeth while I watch shows. I might be oh, like dude. looking at my phone. That's the whole content circuit concept. Yeah. Just like always have something <laughs> going. Like, oh, I got to go sit down. I can watch like eight minutes of this movie I was watching. Oh, now I got to go drive and put the podcast back on. You, you got to keep the horrifying uh, memories of Evil Dead Rise <laughs> at bay with like constant noise. By watching the original Evil Dead? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, but Undone, like I can't take my eyes off of it. It's so unique. It's so fascinating. And it's like you don't want to miss a transition because it might it on be one phone? second. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, Lord. Oh, no, no. No. I watched it on a big screen on the first watch and then I watched it in some hotel rooms. I could like boot up Prime Video on the smart TV and then other times I just watch it on my iPad. But no, I know you'll probably watch it on your phone, but I watch so much stuff on my phone that when I watch a movie on my screen, I'm like, whoa, what's happening? Why is it so big? <laughs> it's sensory overload. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we've come to my third and final hook, Bob Odenkirk, because I knew that if all else failed, Bob Odenkirk, he, he plays such an interesting character with such an impactful and pivotal role in the series, that would be enough to get you to watch Undone. Oh, dude, yeah. Everything I've ever seen with him, I loved. Oh, so good. <laughs> have you seen Run, Ronnie, Run? I have not. Oh, man. That's another one. He's the, it's uh, David Cross, and he's like this, like redneck guy that he's always getting arrested and Bob Odenkirk is like this like flaming uh Hollywood producer guy that like comes to pull Ronnie oh he's like this British guy he comes to pull Ronnie out of obscurity and make a show about him getting arrested and it's like uh Ronnie is like super southern and like Bob Odenkirk is super gay and it's just a uh it's a really funny uh dichotomy they have it's a it's there, hilarious. Do they have man. like energy drinks in this show? Actually, I'm thinking they, David I think Cross. They might actually. Yeah, I did watch something. Dude, it is such a good movie. Okay, highly recommended to, to anyone. Okay, well, as I said before, the the brilliance of the show can be attributed uh, in large parts to its exceptional performances. Rosa Salazar, Angelique Carbal, uh, Constance Marie, Dave Davy Diggs, I think his name in Siddharth. Donna Nanje. I have no idea how to say these names, but the cast is amazing. And the casting itself is really great, too. I mean, everybody's like kind of playing themselves a little bit. I've never heard of any of those people except for Bob Odenkirk. You're going to be a fan of every single person on this show. All it's, right. It's really cast well. But as a huge Odenkirk fan, I'm singling his performance out. As Alma's deceased father, Odenkirk delivers a performance that is both compelling and deeply nuanced. As you know, he's known for his role in Breaking Bad and its spinoff, Better Call Saul. Which is even better than Breaking Bad. Some would say so. I would. <laughs> you just did. Am I some or am I one? <laughs> You're the one. Someone. Uh, Odenkirk in Undone, he brings a similar level of complexity to Jacob, a character who exists in the nebulous space between life and death. And Odenkirk's performance adds depth to the series, grounding its more fantastical elements in human emotion and experience. His portrayal of Jacob is a testament to his versatility as an actor, further elevating Undone from a visually stunning series to a masterclass in performance. I really hope to see him doing more projects like these, which really, there are none, so it makes sense that I haven't seen that. When, 
when was this made? Like, what era is this? Uh, undone. Yeah. This is a super recent. Seems like it would have to be all these yeah, animation yeah, yeah. techniques. It was uh, 2019, I believe. Mm. I think it premiered in... I thought I had it in my notes. I thought it was in uh, September of 2019. Well, he wasn't, like, really a leading man in any way until Breaking Bad kind of made him that. And then, you know... Well, Breaking Bad predates Undone, like, quite I a know, bit. I know, but, okay. like... Like early Odin Kirk stuff was all like supporting roles and sure. And then sure. uh like with Breaking Bad, everybody realized how awesome he was and then yeah. he started getting put is he a lead in this or is he like a is it co lead or what is he? I mean I think technically he's a supporting character, yeah. but he's kind of a co lead. But I mean everybody gets a lot of Sounds like it hinges a lot on him. It does. Yeah. It does. Cool. Um let's see where I was. Oh, we're about to wrap this puppy up. Oh, well. <laughs> well, in conclusion, Josh, Undone is a remarkable series that stands as a testament to the potential of television itself as a medium for innovative storytelling, visual artistry, and compelling performance. Its unique narrative structure, groundbreaking animation, and exceptional performances, particularly by Bob Odenkirk, that's for you, hey. make it a must-watch series for any lover of innovative and thought-provoking content. And as to that most important question I asked, is it actually happening? Is it real? Or is Alma just hallucinating everything? The best part of the series is that we don't know. The creators intentionally left this open to personal interpretation. And the beauty of Undone lies in its ambiguity. But one thing I do know for sure, Undone is one of the greatest pieces of content ever. And you'd better check it the fuck out. <laughs> or I'll kill you. <laughs> Hey, you said it. <laughs> it wasn't well, I me. was threatening you. <laughs> oh. uh, so do you think that the ambiguity makes the story better? Uh, I do, and that's why I'm a little nervous. Uh, season two released more recently. I think it took a couple of years of development, and I do think season two dives a little bit more into the plot and kind of um, seals the ambiguity. Uh, again, I haven't seen season two. Is it out yet? Yeah, I've not seen it. Uh, a because of time. <laughs> well, if you were existing in a nonlinear fashion, then you could have already in, watched. In it. a way, I've already watched it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I will watch it. But I, I do think that the show leans towards like she actually has these powers. Do you want it to be that as a fan? I, d I do. I think it is that. I think you'd want it. I feel yeah. like if I was watching this, like if I'd already watched it, that's what I'd be hoping for with season two. I would want to yeah. see, like... But it could go... I mean, the beauty of the show is it's very unpredictable. It feels very real. It's extremely unpredictable. I've never seen a plot like it. I've never seen a look like it. Uh, I've never so it's super seen unique. looks like that either. So I imagine, like, equal greatness. I, I don't think they would have come out with a season two because nobody's heard of the show. It's not like it was so wildly successful. They're like, okay, we better get a season two going. They, like, they... These, if, if the same creators are involved, which I'm sure they are, they're going to make sure that it's a masterpiece. Wow. Because that's what they created the first time, and they're not going to ruin season one by making anything less than something great. But I just, I haven't gotten around to it. I'm a little nervous because Undone is like one of the best things I've ever seen. And I'd hate for the, uh, what comes after freshman, the sophomore, the sophomore, sophomore uh, yeah, the sophomore slump. Yeah. Exactly. Shitty band phenomenon. 
Oh, exactly. Man. Well, hearing you say that it's one of the best things you've ever seen is quite the endorsement, man. That it is, really is. You pretty much always bring fire content to the That's show. It. That's it. Dude. I'm the fire boy. All right, <laughs> flame boy. So, man, I can't. I cannot believe I never heard of this. This. I feel like most things I have some like sort of ancillary awareness of, but. It's, yeah. I've never even heard the name of this show. Undone. And I've never seen anything that looks like that. It's so perfectly titled, too. Oh, man. It's, everything's perfect about it. Well, I'm definitely going to check perfect that title. out. That's going right but on you know, my uh, list, Brett. About that ambiguity, even if they slanted one way, I do think that they tried to push it to be as ambiguous as possible. Do you think Inception would have been as good or as much of a phenomenon Like if the top falls at the end and you know for sure he's... You know, not in a dream, or if he is in a dream. I mean, it could have gone either way. I don't think that the that the quality of that movie hinged on that necessarily. I know that it's like it was kind of a thing, though. That it, was like the th- that's what frustrates me. It was like, come on, we don't get to ever know how the thing like that's. But it keeps me thinking about it for yeah. years afterwards. Oh yeah, there's like so much discourse and discussion about that. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know if that would have like pushed me one way or another on oh, this movie rocks or this movie sucks because just the whole experience of that movie is like so insane and unlike anything you've ever seen. But I think if there was a lot of ambiguity in season one of a show like this, I would want to start having some answers in Mm, season two. Okay, well, they might deliver on that. Hopefully, because that's like with Lost. I mean, it's like the the king of of fucking it up with ambiguity, you know? (laughs) And... I think like any time you're making something like purposely ambiguous, you're kind of like risking drifting into lost territory, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which it's not somewhere you want to be. So <laughs> you want to be found. Yeah, exactly. You want to be undone and then you want to be done. <laughs> but I think that I would like want to start seeing some answers. So hopefully that's what, I mean, I haven't even seen the thing yet, but that's what I, I think it'd be cool to start seeing some confirmation in one way or another. I like that. Okay. Two. I think we'll see that in the trailers that I've seen. I think we'll see that. Awesome. Well, after you watch undone, make sure you watch the behind the scenes. It's oh, super dude. fascinating. Yeah. This is exactly yeah. the kind of thing that would make me want to go see like oh, every yeah. YouTube video about it. After so I watched good. it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks Brett. That sounds great, man. Uh, another bomb recommendation from Brett. Mr. Oppenheimer himself dropping <laughs> content bombs. Oh my gosh. The father of the content bomb. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. Well, thanks, Brett, and thank all of you for listening to the Content Clearing House. Please tell your friends about the show. Uh, recommendations from you guys is how we grow our show. Uh, if you want to uh, contact us directly, you can email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. We also have a, an Instagram page, The Content Clearinghouse, where we post some stuff. Uh, so check that stuff out. And then uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another show. Thanks. We love you guys. Bye.